New Testament scripture reading for this morning comes from Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 67. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and has redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the path of peace path of peace. Ascends the reading of God's holy word. Let us pray together. Lord, you have promised to us that as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and they do not return there, but indeed water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout and giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Father, you have promised that your word that goes out from your mouth will not return empty, but it shall accomplish all that you set out for it to do. Father, we invoke this promise and we pray that you would fulfill it today, that it will go out in joy and lead forth many in peace, and that the mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing and all the trees of the field will clap their hands because of this mighty word that remembers your deeds and your acts. Father, help us this day accomplish your will. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It's been said, those who cannot learn from history are doomed to repeat it. You know, in other words, if we as a human race, as a human people, give any thought to uh, our history, if we do not heed the warnings that are found in history, then our mistakes and our sins will be those of our forefathers, those who have gone on before this. And this saying is a warning to us all to know and to learn from where we have come from and why, in order to know who we are and where we're going. And that saying is true. It's not just true for all of humanity. It's true for us individually, each and every one of us in our everyday lives, isn't it? Now, what is that saying we use uh, when we are training those who are younger than us, we say, well, we learn from our mistakes, right? You know, we make mistakes, and we learn from those mistakes. And if we do that, we must indeed be learning from our history, from that which has happened to us. In other words, our past informs our present and our future. Who we are then informs who we will be and who we are now going to be. And sometimes, not always the case, but sometimes... Our own histories will even inform our children's future as well. You know, we can't protect our children from all the mistakes that they will make and the sins that they will fall prey to. 
But no parent ever wishes that their child will repeat the same mistakes, the same exact mistakes that they themselves went through. No parent wishes that upon their child. We hope that they learn from us, from our history. We hope that they learn from our past and that our past will inform and shape and change their future, even as it shapes our future and who we are to this day. Well, what does all this have to do with worship? Well, people of God, as we gather together to this day, I doubt it will come as a surprise to you, but we gather every single week, you know, one day out of every seven to worship. Now, if that does surprise you, come back next Sunday. It's true. I promise you. Uh, but have you ever stopped to ask yourself why that is? You know, why do we worship God corporately so frequently? I mean, what is so important that we gather as a called-out assembly week after week after week here in this place to be in the presence of God himself and with all the company of heavenly hosts and with all the saints who have died in faith? Have you ever wondered that? I mean, why do it so frequently? I mean, why did God command us to keep the Sabbath holy? Sure, he commanded it, but why? Why would he command that one day in seven be given to him for our benefit? Because he tells us as we gather that the Sabbath is for our benefit. Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Well, what is the benefit for us in this regular, habitual, continuous, frequent gathering? And not just gathering every once in a while, but repeatedly over and over and over again. The same things every week are heard again and again. It's always the same liturgy. It's always the same order of worship again and again. Why? Well, people of God, we gather to remember history or his story. We gather again and again to hear from God himself, his story, because his story or the history of God and his dealings with man informs and shapes our own story, who we are before God because of what God has done when he entered into history and his dealings with man for you in Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit that shapes your identity for the present. What he did then shapes who you are now and who you will be in the future, where you're going, your past, your history shapes your present and your future. And with that in mind, the first thing I want us to see this morning is that worship is about our remembering. Worship is about our remembering. Specifically, we're called to remember God's acts and God's promises. You know, you see as you look through the history of Bible, the Bible about how God comes down and he engages with man time and again, how God speaks to his people and we respond. As you look through the history from Genesis to Revelation, God will speak, and he will either speak by performing some wondrous deed that he does, or action of deliverance or redemption, or he reminds his people about something that he's done already when he speaks. In other words, everything about God's interaction with man is grounded in God's working in history. And his people are therefore called to respond. God speaks, his people respond, and this is our dialogue between God and man, our interaction with him in worship. God does something or promises something in covenant, and God's people see his mighty acts, and they are called to respond in worship of him, of him or in remembrance of him. You see this even in the creation of the world itself. 
No, God created man. He put man upon the earth, and in his mighty act, he required a response from that people, particularly a response of obedience to those uh, who uh, were his, uh, um, whom he created. That was their act of worship. Man had not yet fallen into sin or broken his law, and God required obedience to worship him, not faith. But once we broke his law, we failed to obey him. And from then on in the world, God speaks, and he speaks through redemptive actions and promises to his people. And in turn, we then respond in faith to his mighty works and deeds. You can see this if you go back to Exodus. In Exodus 13, God has determined already that he would deliver his people from Egypt. He has brought Moses back to Egypt to speak with Pharaoh that God's people might be delivered from oppression. And God has brought ten plagues upon the house of Egypt and the house of Pharaoh, including the final death or plague of death for the firstborn of all those in Egypt, a death that Israel escaped through the shed blood of the lamb upon the doorposts in their homes. Passover has been founded, and now the people of God are called to remember this mighty act of how God delivered his people through this meal, through repeating this ceremony of worship again and again throughout the ages. They are to repeat the same ceremony. Why? Well, if you come to chapter 13 and verse 3, God calls Israel, remember this day. When you came out of Egypt, out of bondage, for with a strong hand, the Lord brought you out of this place. And he goes on instructing his people how to keep this Passover, what kind of bread to eat, basically how to worship him through this particular ceremony and how they are to respond to this mighty act of deliverance for his people. In other words, God instructs his people how they are to worship him based on what he has done. And in verse 8, God says, I, uh, you will tell your son on that day, it is because the Lord did for me. This is what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. That is why we worship him in this way. That is why we keep the feast until he comes again. And people of God, they are called here again and again and again to remember, to retell this same story over and over and over again. To repeat it until their dying days because our past, the past deliverance of God, required a response. One, uh, you know, I did this for you, God says, therefore you are to respond in this worship of me. Recall those things. And God speaks and his people respond to him recalling or remembering what it is that God has indeed done for them. And this is so much the case here. In this particular act, that God's work not only speak to those he is delivering right then and there directly out of Egypt, but his redemptive actions speak to the next generation as well. In other words, God's acts are so important that they shape not just the one God actually has physically called to walk from Egypt through the Red Sea on dry ground, but those generations that followed were called to remember God's works as well in the same way. You come to Deuteronomy, you come to a book written or spoken to the second generation. You need to keep that in mind as you read this. This is the second generation, all those uh, about to enter into Canaan. The whole generation, the first generation whom God called out of Egypt, has died because of unbelief. Only the very young children 
And those who were born in the past 40 years of wilderness wandering are spoken to here, or including Caleb and Joshua. And so he speaks to those who were not adults, to those who were not even born in many cases here. Most of them were not there at the time of this particular deliverance. And he says in Deuteronomy 4, take care lest you forget the things your eyes have seen. Very interesting language. Very important that you hear those words. Because most of those assembled didn't actually see God's mighty works. They had not beheld Mount Horeb with their eyes. Mount Sinai isn't in their physical memories because they weren't there aside from Caleb and Joshua and a very young children. The first generation who stood at the foot of the mountain had passed away. And most of the people assembled here now were not physically present or there. They didn't actually remember what God did from their own memories. And yet God said, what I did, I did for you. So much so that even though you weren't there physically, you were there. Remember what your eyes saw. And when your sons ask you in times to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes of the rules that the Lord has commanded you? Then you say to your sons in chapter 6, verse 20, we, not I, we, he has included the son in his statement, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt. And the Lord brought us out from Egypt with a mighty hand. Notice, neither the father in this command, this is still Deuteronomy, neither the father in this command, by and large, nor the son were actually there. And yet this will continue to be the case passed on from generation to generation where a thousand years from this point in Deuteronomy, the fathers of Israel will say to their son, we were slaves in Egypt. You and I, we were slaves in that particular land. And yet we are both called to remember God's acts for them, done on their behalf, even though they were not physically there. And they are to remember them as though they were. They were there, even though physically they were not. According to scriptures, they participated in that reality. And they remind themselves of that reality every time that they gather for worship to worship God corporately. In other words, people of God, your identity is so wrapped up with this redeeming act of God that you are part of it. It is your personal history. You ever hear that old spiritual song that you you shake your head at? And say, well, what in the world does that mean? Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Were you there when they laid him in the tomb? Were you there when he rose up from the grave? We say, you know, uh, as moderns who are thoroughly uh, uh, confused by a song like that, we say, of course, we weren't actually there. But that's not what the song means. The point of the song is that if you are in Christ by faith, you were there. You hung on that cross with him. You were buried with him, and you have been raised with him. Listen to the words of Colossians 3. If you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, not of this earth. Why? Because you have died. Not just Christ who died back there 2,000 years ago. You have died with him. You are so connected to Christ, who is your living head, that this is your history. You have been raised with Christ. You died with him. Your life is hidden with him. Your entire identity, who you are, is so wrapped up in what Christ did that you were there. And it goes on and says, when Christ appears in glory, 
you too will appear in glory. Notice your future, your identity, who you are becoming is wrapped up in Christ's identity so much that what happened to him happens to you and what happens to him, namely glory, will happen to you as well. It's God's way of saying, I delivered you on that day in Christ. That is who you are, people of God. That is your story and what I did in history, my mighty acts of redemption, they speak for you now in the present and for your future. And God is speaking a word over his people. And we are called to respond to what that word is that has been given in remembrance, in remembrance worship. That's why remembering is such a big deal throughout the scriptures, people of God. When you remember what God has done, you remember who you are in Christ. When everything around you in this world screams otherwise, God speaks, and he speaks over you, and he tells you who you are through what he has done, and he speaks a covenantal word over you. And he promises salvation to you and he follows through with his promises in his mighty acts of history. And God's people are called over and over and over again to remember his promises, to remember what he has done. We don't have time to go through all the times the word remember, or the phrase not or forget not are used. But I assure you they are used very often. And you can look it up if you want to afterward. There are two main ways the scripture uses these phrases that inherently shapes our worship of God. First is God calls his people to remember what he did, and then that remembering, it is to bring about a response in us, particularly to walk according to the commandments we have been called, or to uh, remember who we are in order that it shapes what we do. Our identity is renamed through here, through these remembrances. Deuteronomy 8, verse 2. Remember all the things the Lord led you through. Joshua 1.13, as Israel is going into Canaan, as they are about to uh, uh, conquer this land, he says, remember the words that came from God. 2 Samuel 14, the kings of Israel are called as they represent the people to remember their Lord God, to remember this covenant, remember both his promises and his deeds. Let this shape our response to him for all the days of our lives. And that isn't even to mention Job or the Psalms or the prophets or Proverbs, those who cried that Israel not forget their God, to not worship other gods, but to remember his word, his law, his covenant, because remembering shapes who you are. You see this very clearly when you come to Judges. Judges 3 and in Judges 8, we see what happens when the people of God forget. They don't remember him. It says they forgot the Lord their God. And what do God's people do when they forget God? We see it happen in the Judges. They go after idols. They look for things in this world to shape who they are. They forget not just who they are, but they forget who God is, and because of that, they pursue the world. And God gives them over to the world until finally they remember their God and they cry out to him. You know, the God of their forefathers, the world is always waiting right outside the doors to reshape you, to conform you to its image, to turn you away from God and his promises. Satan and his lies 
are waiting for you tomorrow morning, but God calls us and he cleanses us and he gives us his word and he communes with us week after week after week in order to shape you and change you in order that you might resist those false truths spoken by the world and the devil who hates our Lord. And our weekly worship is to reshape us, people of God. That is why it's a big deal to remember. That is why Hebrews 10 tells us we are not to neglect the assembling together because it reshapes, reshapes who you are. William Tyndall said this, uh, when Christ is preached... And the promises of sacraments rehearsed, in other words, when these things are repeated over and over again, when you enter into worship over and over again, then the hearts of those who are elect or God's children, the chosen, begin to wax soft and melt at the bounteous mercy of God and the uh, kindness showed in Christ. When the gospel is preached, the Spirit of God enters them, which God has ordained and appointed to eternal life, and he opens their inward eyes and works belief in them. In other words, belief isn't just a one-time thing. We are strengthened again and again. Each time the Christ is preached, each time the sacraments are administered through our worship, through these ordinary means of Christ being preached and sacraments being given. And this is why our ordinary worship calls us to remember God. Everything about worship calls you to remember who God is and what he has done in order to shape you. Well, that's just the first half and the first way the word remember is used. And forget not. They're used so that the people of God will remember their God and acts, his deeds, his promises, so that it will shape who you are and how you act in light of what he has done for you. The other half of the time it's used is to remind us that worship is about God's remembering. Worship is about God's remembering, and I I know that sounds strange to us. That worship calls God to remember his promises and his redemption and mighty acts. But God's covenant is about his remembering what he has promised and fulfilling that promise, that he might fulfill his word, that he might be true to his word. When two men in the Old Testament, if you understand what a covenant is, not just in the Old Covenant, but throughout all the ancient world, when two men would make a covenant, they would cut an animal and walk through it, and the cutting was to act as a sign for both parties to remember that covenant, not just for the lesser people to remember, but both were to honor this particular covenant promise. And that's exactly how God's covenant with his people works. That's not just a one-sided covenant, but both God and his people are called to remember what he has done. There's a reason that two tablets were brought down for the Ten Commandments. It wasn't five on one and five on the other. It was ten on one and ten on the other. One went into the uh, um, Ark of the Covenant for God to remember what he has covenanted and one for the people to remember. The idea was so that both would remember what God has promised and would fulfill that promise. Listen to the scriptures here. In Genesis 8 and 9, we hear God remembered Noah. He did not forget his covenant promises made to Adam. And in those promises, he remembers Noah. And he tells Noah, I will remember my covenant and never again destroy the earth by flood. He remembers his promises to Noah. That is what he is called to do. Well, what was it that brought about that particular remembrance for God? 
Noah brought God worship. He brought him a sacrifice of pleasing a Roman. What we are called to bring in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, that our lives are to be a pleasing aroma before him. And God smells this offering and he says, I will remember my promise. I will remember my covenant that I made. Genesis 19, God remembers his promise to Abraham by keeping Lot from being destroyed with Sodom and Gomorrah. He remembers his promise to deliver Abraham and his people. Exodus 2, verse 24, the people of Israel were groaning under the oppression of Egypt. And the text tells us God remembered his covenant. He remembers his promises, his covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Well, how do we know that God will remember his promises now? Well, you come to the New Testament in the very first chapter of Luke, we read, and Zechariah here speaks after being silenced by God, just as God was silent for 400 years after Malachi, and then he speaks in Christ. Here, Zechariah is silenced, and when he speaks, what does he say? He recalls who God is and what he has done. The God who redeems and visits his people, the one who promised salvation through the house of David, has raised a horn of salvation. He spoke by the prophets of old. He saved us from the hands of our enemies. He does what? When you come to verse 72, he shows the mercy promised to our fathers. He remembers his holy covenant, his promise of salvation. And how will he do it? Through the Most High, who comes, whom after John the, ba- who John the Baptist is a prophet for, heralding the way of the Most High. And when that one comes, he will give light to those who sit in darkness and shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. The point here is God remembers you, people of God. He remembers you in Christ He remembers his promises. He remembers his covenant of old. He remembers what he did to bring that promises about. And each week we gather, as God calls us to worship him, as he calls us to remember his word, his mighty acts and deeds, we in turn, we echo, we respond to his call, and we call him to remember his promises. We call God to remember his promises, not because he will forget them, because they are such great and precious promises that we are lost without them, people of God. We need him to remember his promises. And so we cry out again and again that he would do so. That the promises of salvation given in Christ are so important to us that it reshapes everything that you are. So that when we worship, God speaks and we respond. His faithfulness to his word reshapes our identity. And why does it matter that we hear God through word and sacrament retell us the gospel? To rehearse it. To retell that old, old story. Why does it matter? People of God, when you walk out those doors, the father of lies will begin to whisper to you, about who you are, that you're a glutton, that you're a thief, that you're an adulterer in your heart. God can't love someone as selfish as you. God's promises cannot possibly be true for you. They are too good to be true. No God. 
could possibly be that loving or forgiving or, or cares that much for you. This marriage will never work. We should quit now. Our children will probably walk away from the again. All week long, Satan and the world whisper lies to you, telling you that it's not his kingdom that matters, that it's yours. It's more important to improve your home than to show kindness to your neighbor, that living a life of luxury will solve all of your problems, that preparing for retirement is more important than preparing for death itself. We forget the precious promises of God. We are a forgetful people. Israel showed that to us again and again. They forgot the words that God had spoken. We so easily listen to the voices all around us, but when we gather to worship people of God, God speaks to you and he reminds you who you are and what he has done for you. God calls you to hear his words, his promises, his mighty deeds done for you in Christ. They are for you. They are your history. That is who you are. And he calls you to remember who you are. In order that the good news given about a savior for sinners like us, thieves, adulterers, gluttons, sinners of the worst kind, might be reminded once again that Christ has died. Christ has risen. And Christ will come again. To remember that greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. To remember that you, knew, you who knew no mercy now have been shown mercy. That we believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And that Jesus Christ suffered, who died, who rose again. And he will come again in glory. We remember that we believe in the resurrection of the dead and the life everlasting. That this saying is trustworthy and worthy of all acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. That if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. We remember that you have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. People of God, God calls us here into his presence. And he speaks a very different word from the world that is all around us, a word that is different from the promises of the word, world. Won't you believe them anew this day? Not as though you've never believed them before, but to be strengthened by the very means that God gives to build his people up. Won't you believe these words that we repeat again and again each week, every Lord's Day, in and out, until our dying day. We rehearse the same liturgy of word and sacrament again and again because in them we remember what our eyes have seen upon Mount Zion as he's drawn us into his very presence there this day, namely a Savior who promises himself to you, the people of God. That is what we see that is what we hear. That is who you are, dear Christian. You are the beloved ones of God. You are the called out assembly. You are indeed the very precious children of God. Remember who you are. May that shape what you do and how you act. May it shape your present and your future as you leave this place today. Amen. Let us pray. Our God, we gather before you 
And we come and we know that you, you are God and we are not. And we humbly submit ourselves to you, asking that you would strengthen us, build us up, turn us from our sins, that we might walk in righteousness. Not that we uh, would be able to ever depart from you, but that we would see evermore our dependence upon Christ, this one who died for us, the one whom our identity is wrapped up in. And we pray, Lord, that you would build up and strengthen your people even now. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.